are back. We are back. Welcome, everyone, to Match Point Number Nine of Tennis Bets Podcast. I am one of three hosts here, David E.J. Berger. You can find our show handle at MP9 Tennis on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. If this is your first time listening, chances are it's how you found us. Welcome, hello. If you're a returning listener, a returning champion, welcome back. With me, as always, is my number one tennis talking bro, Derek. Derek, hello. Hey everybody, um, welcome back to the pod. Uh, we got another week of tennis for you just before the French Open. And just to let you know, uh, my Florida bet of the Heat and the Panthers to win their series parlay is still very live. You already know that probably, but I just want to let you know that I'm still very excited about it. <laughs> very live. They're five and oh. <laughs> It's going well for you. Uh, and, and that that voice uh, you just heard was our man in Canada, Mr. John Reed. You can find him at Jared Tweets Tennis on Twitter. He does betting content for his own brand. At Tidbits Tennis, he writes for the Action Network, betting expert Hammer HQ. He does tennis form recaps as well. I have to suffer through another Zoom where you're wearing a Nuggets jersey as we record. This pain, I think, is probably going to be over tonight. But, uh, I mean, the pain will last all summer uh, for, as a Lakers fan. <laughs> <laughs> but, but our misery might be over tonight. John, welcome back. Cheers. Yeah, well, you know what? I've had pain over these Western Conference losses for 14 years. So, uh, your turn. <laughs> but uh, excited to go. We got French Open qualies, man. I'm so excited. I had so many bets today. Ended up a unit down. But you know what? It's the best way to end up unit down because... I had one player choke from up a set, 5-4, 30 love on serve. She missed an overhead to set up three match points. Had another player lose from 6-2, 6-5, love 43, match, triple match point, loses the match. I had Dom Stricker, our guy, the clean plate club Dom Stricker was up. I had minus four and a half. He was up 7-6-5-2, decided to sprinkle in some double faults and serve and volley on slow clay. Gets broken back, then breaks, so I lose by the hook. That was a two-unit play for you this week. So all these losses are coming. It didn't really have many comeback. Didn't have any comeback wins. Still only down a unit on the day. I've never been. So, I've never been so okay with losing a little bit of cash uh, because it's been a good couple of weeks since Prome started, and I'm ready to carry it right through the French Open with you guys and all our listeners. It's exciting. A lot of tennis to talk about uh, a week ahead of the Slam. So let's get right into it. But first, we need to uh, pay for our sins a little bit here uh, and recap what we talked about last time. In a segment we call, what did we win? What did we learn? Match play wins in Rome. We won with Holgaruna, laying the two and the money line minus 155, but we lost. With Stefano Tsitsipas versus Daniil Medvedev uh, on the money line at minus 150, I played 2-0 at plus 165. At least I knew enough not to pay juice for this. I was going to say this fraud, but he's not a fraud. He's just... Oh, Medvedev became a father over the weekend once again. He's now the daddy to <laughs> Steph and Zverev. <laughs> Congratulations, Daniil. <laughs> uh, he wins Rome, Daniil. Uh, we'll get into that more here in a second. Uh, over in Bordeaux and France, uh, we lost with Echeverria on the money line at minus 135. Umber, I mean, the fitness, I think, that we talked about came in handy here. Outlast Echeverria, who I think just kind of ran out of gas in that match, was up a break early and then Umber. Broke back and uh, just ran away with it from there. In Portugal, the other challenger, John, talked about chasing Vukic uh, in the final at plus money. It's just not come in. But uh, I, I think that was a worthy chase. The guy was on fire and he was a plus money. So not sure we learned a lot on that one. I think it was uh, a plus CV play, to be honest, even in the loss. That's all you can ask for. All right, guys. Outrights. John, you had your Runa ticket all the way into the final. What was? What did you have it at? I think it was like 14 to 1 or something. Uh Plus 1,313 to one. Half unit would have returned seven. So I would have profited six and a half units. I had some some profit there to work with. Did you hedge? Yeah. Yeah, I hedged two and a half units at plus 120 uh, with Medvedev money line. And so if I made it, I almost, I usually just cover my stake and then cheer for my guy. But the way Medvedev had been going and I was just, I was, I knew I hate how Medvedev plays tennis, like watching it, like stylistically, it's not my cup of tea. I'm not saying he sucks at it. I think he's incredible at what he does. That's why he's number two or three in the freaking world. It'll be a two seed and they get the French. But I hate watching it. And there was no way I was going to watch him octopus his way around the baseline and push his way to victory and lose an outright with it. So I ended up going with uh, two and a half units. So when he won, I profited three. Had Runa won, I would have profited about four. You know, it, it, I, it worked out. I was still cheering for Runa, but 
but it didn't cost me much. So I got in a, a fairly big hedge and my Sunday ended up being really, really nice because of it. Very nice, John. We need to take an L on Medvedev. As we said on this podcast, he didn't really have a, a shot at winning this. So that's a, an L for us. But John was able to monetize his ticket. Uh, and that's sort of the, the name of the game here when we do the the outright talks at the beginning of these tournaments uh, to have something in pocket that you can do something with later on to, to monetize, put some cash in your pocket. Even if that ticket itself doesn't come in. All right, guys. Well, we had a lively back and forth in the chat about Medvedev going into Roland Garros, but I think we'll save that for the Roland Garros episode because there's so much tennis to talk about this week, even in uh, what should be you know a, a quiet week before the, the slam craziness of uh, Roland Garros, but it's tennis. So there's always something going on. We got two 250s here. We got some some slam qualities to talk about. Let's dive right in. First thing to note, though, is the obvious. As I mentioned a couple times now, this is the week before a slam. So motivations are mixed. Results could be painful. Both an opportunity to save your money, but also make some if you attack the right spots. Everyone loves action, but don't feel like you have to bet this week because you don't. You quite frankly don't. Alexander Bublik, hot off the red carpet mm-hmm. at the Cannes Film Fest, had zero interest in playing today. Bageled in 21 minutes in his first set versus Giron. His work week is over uh, in under an hour. <laughs> uh, so Pretty good hourly rate. I think he takes home, what, a, probably a couple thousand euros? It's, in my money, that's like he's a millionaire in Canadian dollars. But, you know, uh, that's that's not a bad hourly rate. It's not a bad hourly rate. So, yeah. So it's going to be that type of week for people. There's going to be probably some people that look like they're fighting and then, eh, screw it. <laughs> so, uh, but let's dive into the Lyon tournament first. Over in France, the sixth iteration of this 250 event is underway. Cam Norrie won this last year, and he's back to defend his title as the two seed. He also made the final here in 2021, a match that he lost to Stefano Tsitsipas. Benoit Pair beat FAA in 2019 to win the title. FAA back in the field again. Looking to gain some form before Roland Garros, Dami Team and Sanga have also won this event. Uh, this event is in a little altitude, 250 meters above sea level. John, what do you think about the conditions here? Well, you see the, the names like Songa, you see the names like Dami Team, the hitters. I mean, that, that altitude is certainly going to help. A guy named Manuel Guinard last year had a run to, I believe, the quarters. Of course, he's now outside of the top like 300 because the points dropped. And he's been terrible. Like, he can't win the Challenger Tour this year. But he's kind of a serve forehand guy as well. Tall, not the greatest mover. So it does reward it a bit. Not Obviously not as much as Geneva or even Madrid, for instance, because it's not as high up. Makes sense. But um, it's not some... I don't usually... I, I tell... People, I generally, 200 meters and above, I start to wait how altitude it. Obviously, the the lower it is, or the closer it is to that 200, the less it factors in. Um, so it is it is something you should consider, but I wouldn't have it. You shouldn't be changing your number dramatically because a guy can serve and he's playing at 250 meters of altitude, if, if you know what I mean. Weather-wise, uh, it's going to be cloudy in mid-70s uh, for the week. Rain is not in the forecast as of now, so hopefully we won't have a repeat of Rome at either site this week, uh, but you never know. There is some rain uh, in Geneva, potentially. We'll get into that once we get there, but weather-wise should be good here in France. Let's dive right into some outright talk here, guys. As mentioned, Cam Norrie is back to defend his title, and he is the shortest shot on the board at plus 350 to win this thing. Uh, Kashmanovic is plus 500. Francisco Sarundolo is plus 500. Felix FAA is plus 550. Tommy Paul plus 850. Draper 10 to 1, Baez 18 to 1, Gregor Barrer 18 to 1, Greggy Bars, Brandon Nakashima is 18 to 1 for some reason. I mean, he could win. I don't know. He doesn't do anything. Artur Fis 18 to 1, Katin 20 to 1. Man, Fuchovic all the way down at 22 to 1. Goffin 25 to 1. I, I highlight him because I might want to talk about him. Monfils, man, 65 to 1 all the way down here. Um, That's pretty much the field here. A couple guys I, I left out, but. I definitely don't like Cam Norrie at plus 350, uh, given his form and the fact that he seems to be enjoying... I don't know if anyone follows Cam Norrie on Instagram, but the guy seems to be having a good time, despite his poor <laughs> results. <laughs> so yeah, He's I, like a little bit of a hidden party boy, for sure. So uh, I'm not sure his motivation this week. I mean, he already has the points I think he would lose if, if he doesn't defend his title uh, from his golden swing run, so I don't think he's sweating that. But yeah, in any initial takes or reactions uh, from you guys on, on those numbers these odds are on DraftKings for the outrights yeah i think the first thing to consider is you talked about it off the top too is the motivation you don't have to bet there are going to 
be spots though where you know guys are going to want to win this event, right? And the the two that stand out the most are guys that need form. I mean, Felix isn't just the top seed here. He he's the top seed is a wild card. That means he wasn't planning on playing this. He's been so bad that he's like calls up Leon says, "Hey guys, I want to play. Can I get a wild card?" And they said, "Hell yeah, you're freaking you know really well known professional tennis player." And so he's in the draw. That tells you that there's motivation there. The other side of the other side of things would be, you know, your mediocre players or your young guns looking for matches, right? Your Gregoire Barrette is going to absolutely be motivated to win a title because he he's just not going to get many chances to do it at the ATP level. And a guy like Altilfi is someone who is newer to clay, who's developing, who's improved on it. He wants matches, of course. Like he knows he's not winning the French Open this year, but. This is a chance for a guy like him with his big game and a, and a bit of altitude to help him to potentially go deep. He's who I actually targeted here from an outright perspective, just because Felix has been so bad. Felix can actually has the firepower and the serve and and, and everything to stick with him, right? He's, he's he can match him in the athleticism department. He can match him, um, not match him, but he he's got a great serve forehand combo as well. He's added a decent amount of rally tolerance from the baseline too, and the point construction could use some work. But Felix from last year to Felix from this year. Big improvement. I actually got him at thirty-three to one prior to the first, uh, prior to the uh, prior to the qualifiers being placed after the draw came out. So I, I loved that price at uh, at thirty-three because again, it's not the toughest quarter. I was hoping he'd play a, an easier qualifier, lucky loser. He still beat the crap out of Zhang Zhijian anyway, even though you know he got one of the tougher probably qualifiers that was out there. Now he gets Michael Emer, who's an eminently beatable kind of guy if he can avoid the errors and play some solid, patient. Tennis hit into big targets and not try and paint lines. And then it could be Felix. And uh, to me, you know, there's no motivational issues with a kid who's got a wild, I believe he's got a wild card into the French as it is. Match wins, experience on the dirt, and a potential title at 18 or 19 years old. Like that is certainly a carrot for him to be chasing. I absolutely think that uh, that Alto Fields is, is someone worth considering in a week where you don't know the Top Gun's motivation. Yeah, I like the feast pick just because um, one, he's got nothing to lose. Two, it's like you don't really know the motivation like you guys are all saying. It's hard for me to pick an outright specifically. I was hoping that the quarter prices were up just because like if you look at the bigger guys, it's like, yeah, maybe they can stick around for a couple rounds before they lose motivation or they get like a slight injury and they're like, we're not going to like try to, you know, sweat this one out for the rest of the tournament. I'm kind of bummed this wasn't up. I know I saw quarter prices like yesterday. Maybe that they're just kind of calculating them right now. I don't know, just because I've, of matches ended not too long ago. I've got a few for you if you like if oh, you throw you? me some names. Yeah, I got Bet365 has them up now. Yeah, because I did. I threw a quarter bet on Fritz. He's not playing in this one. He's playing in that Geneva right. tournament. But um, dude, he like. For him to win the quarter was only minus 125, and he only had to win two rounds. And I'm like, he'll probably stick around for at least two rounds. But yeah, let's let's let me throw one at you. Yeah, like what's feast to win the quarter? I guess that but three to still, one. He's three he to dipped one. below Michael Emer. I guess he's going to be a favorite against Emer head to head because he's Emer's plus three thirty three. Feels is plus three hundred now. Mm-hmm. Like what? What's Nori? Minus 140. one forty. Ugh, okay. Yeah. Bucevic or Baez? I, I guess a lot of that weighs in on their matchup. That's why. That's why I think yeah. Bucevic is his odds were so much lower. Yeah, I, I just saw that. Yeah, that is why. Yeah, then Barrera. Because Barrera won, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I'd probably rather look at the at the quarter prices if you're gonna bet um a higher ranked player because they're probably obviously more focused on the French Open than this particular tournament but if you're going to take somebody to win the whole thing um it's not a bad look like what john was saying to take like a a lower seated player all right hear me out david guffin has been bad okay really bad not good stinky even now <laughs> uh, i already mentioned cam nori might be you know a fade that's who he's going to play next uh, i mean cam can obviously wipe the floor with this guy uh, in, in his current form but if we get an airmail performance from Cam Nori looking ahead to Roland Garros, Gaffin can be, I mean, pretty much anybody left in, in his quarter. It's like Kachin, Monfils, Baez, Fucevic. 25 to 1. Baez and Fucevic are going to take, one of them is going to take the other out, right? Uh, there's, I, Sarundalo, I think, is definitely going to airmail a performance here. Like, 
I do you feel like uh, Francisco Sarandolo is, is a uh, kind of a fade this week ahead of Roland Garros. What what is his motivation? He's had a pretty decent clay season. I mean, not like bringing home multiple trophies, but certainly better than last year when the guy was like failing to qualify for some of these events and had to like yeah. work his way back uh, into the rankings uh, in that post Wimbledon clay. The thing with him too is, I mean, I wonder if some of these guys, because these tournaments go till Saturday, right? Um, they do end early. One, because the French Open starts on Sunday, not Monday. Uh, but they have three days of the first round, I believe, or maybe a blended Tuesday, first, second round, whatever. But these tournaments, therefore, have to end on Saturday. Anyone who wins the event, they could still have to play Sunday, or they, sorry, they would be guaranteed Monday. Because even if they're half of the drop plays first, um, that's why they have the three day uh, first round. I think it's because Clay, the matches also take a lot longer than on grass or hard court. So you, you can't really uh, expect to get as many matches done in a day. But I think you need to look at potentially how many of these guys will wait and they'll see the draw on Thursday. Draw comes out Thursday. Their semifinal match will be Friday, their final on Saturday. I wonder if some of these guys will see a tough first round opponent and then they're in a tough section if they're like, yo, screw this. That extra day is a big deal. I'm good with my semifinal. I'll try and rip like Bublik did today. I'll serve in volley. I'll drop shot if it works. And I'm only on the court for an hour. I'll stay and try and win the title. If not, I'm out. I'm going to, to Roland Gauss. It's not likely. These guys are pro athletes. But at the same time, who knows? Could be could be a bit of consi- a bit to consider there. But that is again is also dependent on the player and who. How do you know who believes it and who doesn't? I this is why I think it's a week for long shots. But you gotta feel like the the winner of Bias Fucevic has got to consider himself a real you know contender here this week to take this down. I mean, what about Kachin? Why wouldn't Kachin feel the same way then? I agree with you. He's about got Kachin. He's I was got the easier Kachin. first round match. Yeah, Kachin at twenty to one. Here's the thing, though. Is Monfils going to suddenly resurface against Kachin? Let's go. <laughs> oh my God. Could you imagine? Like, I, um, I, 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 my spidey senses are tingling that, like, I mean, it's been a while since Monfils has done anything. He can't continue to just be terrible. Um, I do think Kachin probably wins, but this might be uh, a tougher road to hoe than Kachin would like, uh, especially with the French but crowd. Think, but from a motivation standpoint, do you not think, like, this is the perfect candidate to back? Pedro Kachin is the guy that's like if he's if he's got a shot at a 250 title on the ATP tour, like he's got a chance at an ATP tour title here. You think he's like he's gung ho to go get it because these chances just don't come up outside of the golden swing. These chances never come up for him. What about Juan Pablo Vareas, who already beat Ramos? Now he has Sarundalo. I mean, I actually I think he's gonna beat Sarundalo, to be honest. I think Sarundalo's gonna do the it's like the the grandpa Simpson walk in the door. Put, put the hat on, on the thing, <laughs> put it back on and walk back out the door. <laughs> I just, I just, I don't really understand. I don't feel like Sarundalo is uh, someone I want to back at. Right now, his his odds are, he's almost a $3 favorite against this guy. That's yeah. insane. But he's 35 to 1. Guffin is the guy. I watched him play today. He dominated his first round opponent. I'm feeling some Marrakesh title vibes from him last year. He's been so bad, but it's also tennis. Randomly, he's good again. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I like I like Goffman. I mean, twenty five to one on a player that does have uh, you know some sort of level. I think is pretty good. But then again, he could lose to Cam Nori right off the right off the top. That that does scare me. I'm being non-committal. What about Jack Draper? He's back. I'm going to talk about him coming up in the match play. He doesn't have a terrible draw. And another, and another guy who needs matches on clay ahead of Roland Garros. Right? He needs at least a couple. I don't think he's like, okay, I got my win. I'm out. <laughs> Bro, you've played three matches on the clay this year. He's obviously there to try and play as many matches as he possibly can. He's young enough um, that he can deal with playing, you know, Saturday and then turn around and still go to Roland Garros and, and play. Draper is one of those guys who, you know, is someone who needs the matches. He's young enough. Uh, the question is, does he have the chops to do it here? I mean, again, the 250 meters of altitude, if there's one guy, it's going to help. It's probably the guy who has good athleticism, can play on the clay, but isn't natural on it, right? So would like those shorter points with his first serves. He's kind of the guy that 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 wants this, that that would possibly thrive in these conditions um, as a non, non-natural non clay quarter. All right. I'm actually going to pass on picking it out, right? I already <laughs> said at the top of this, if you don't like something this week, you don't have to bet. I'm going to attack this more from a match play perspective because I, I, I there are some matches I want to talk about here coming up. So let's dive into that. We got Feast from... John from the outrights, and we talked about the past for everybody, so I think it's a pretty good overview. Let's hop into some match play. First one I want to talk about 
is Jackie Draper versus Kashmanovich. Now, this is a good one. Do you back the dog or the short favorite here? Draper is plus 120 on the money line. Kashmanovich is only minus 145. It's a, you know, not not a super short favorite, but not a, you know, not a not a tall order either. Total is at 21 and a half, so a little tick down here. It actually looks like it's probably 22 because 21 and a half is minus 145. Draper picked up an impressive win against uh, an informed Mueller 6263. The Frenchman goes down uh, at a French tournament. I'm sure he had some pretty decent backing here. Draper had six aces, didn't face a break point. Kachmanovic rolled in his first appearance as well, didn't face a break point either. Kachmanovic, to me, if there's an airmail candidate, he fits that profile very well. Uh, this guy, he had that big week at Estoril and then immediately lost to Musetti the next week. I also just like Draper in terms of getting three points on serve. The only thing is Kashmanovich will probably get into a serve and create some break points, but I do feel like there will be a pretty significant winner disparity uh, on the Draper side. Uh, John, what do you think about this one? I mean, I think it's it's one of those where I would like to play Draper, but the price isn't there for me. I think it's, I was hoping for like a plus 140. I thought we'd get at least a plus 125, plus 130. But I think they've, I think this one has been priced up or at least bet into place, whether, whether it opened at plus 120, I'm not sure, but I, I do think it's been bet into place if it did open a little longer. Draper is getting some respect here and it's, and it's, it's, it's worth it's worthwhile, right? He had a good first match. He's got the serve. He's probably a little better on clay than than most people would think because of his natural athleticism, his ability to move around the courts, um, potentially sliding and, and clay court specific movements aren't that great, but that comes with time. The serve is going to play a little bit better here. The power is going to play a bit better. He should have the ability to dictate. And then you've got Kichmanovich, who's a little bit steadier, probably looking for some some form and some some matches, potentially a 250 title. And he's more natural on clay, so than than Draper is. Like relative to Draper, he's he's the more natural player on the surface. I think Kachmanovic as as a slight favorite is probably correct. I mean, plus one twenty three at Pinnacle. Again, I'd still need more than that. I I'd, I'd hope for a plus one thirty, plus one forty. If it gets out to that point, then I'll jump in. But there's a lot of volume to be had elsewhere. Um, and I, I think this is one where. Yeah, I would agree with you. If there's if there's a side to take, it's I, I take the plus money in a pretty even matchup. But I, I do think that. Uh, he's he's a justified slight favorite just because of the inexperience on clay. Dude, with Draper, people were actually suggesting that he could possibly beat Nadal in the first round, and then he ended up just I losing. Was. Yeah, yeah. And it's Until like, the heat. And then I, I was like thinking, yeah, he could possibly beat Nadal in the first round. And now we're at the point where we're like, dude, can he beat Ketchmanovich? <laughs> but freaking this guy, though. Draper, it's like every single time I hit submit bid on this guy, I have really no idea what Draper is going to come out. So I just basically stopped betting on that guy. And Ketchmanovich, it's like the year of just Ketchmanovich annoying the hell out of me. Every single time I bet that guy, I bet the wrong way. So... It's just two guys that I don't really know what to expect. One of them's inconsistent, and the other guy's just been not playing to his potential. So, yeah, I don't know. It's a pure uh, pass for me. Bovada has Bovada has Draper at minus two twenty five to win a set. That's pretty. That's pretty heavy for a total that's just a neutral twenty two. Uh, I'm gonna let the book lead the way here in terms of this bet. I'm going to go over the 22 here. Hmm. It seems like the market is telling you both guys are live to get a set. I'll stick What's with the over two and a half sets there. The over two and a half is a pretty like neutral plus 130, which is about, you know. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to stick with a cheap 22 to get over here. Oh, Bob. Agreed. Yeah. What's, I think that's probably the better way to attack it. Over 22 games is my pick in this match. Uh, all right. The next match I want to talk about. Uh, it's a little surprising because we don't talk about these guys a ton um, as they're more challenger level players, but I thought it would be good to highlight the work that Max Purcell has done this year. He's taking on Pablo Lamas Ruiz here earlier this year. Purcell was on an absolute heater, uh, won 18 matches in a row on the challenger scene, picked up a few titles along the way, including the loss that snapped that streak. He's 14 and six since. Uh, now, this is all done on hard courts, and he's not played true red clay since last year. He's had three wins on clay since 2020, so not great. Uh, Ruiz is a 20-year-old Spaniard. John, could you uh, give us a little uh, inside info here on uh, Ruiz? 
Yeah, I think he works the court really well. I was actually really impressed. I had to, I had to tune in. I, I I wasn't actually familiar with him until, uh, let me look it up. What I bet against him a few times because I'd seen results and knew the other guy's game, and I lost with uh, in Murcia. I faded him with um, goodness. I think it was uh, Shell by and lost that in two tie breaks. And I think that might be it. I might have only faded him once. No, I faded him with Pedro Martinez in Hirona. Pedro Martinez was up 6-2 in like 5-1 or 5-2 or something. And then he needed a 9-7 second set tiebreak to win it in the straights. And I remember being like, whew, escape that one. But Yamas Ruiz can really turn it on after that. In that second set, I was kind of impressed with his game. I don't wouldn't say it's overly powerful, but a very strong clay court game. I wouldn't say he's he's like a pure pusher either. So I, I guess I'm trying to think of a, a good comparison. Uh, and this is the problem with this is when you when you come up with these comparisons, someone's gonna notice one difference in their game. Be like, oh my god, are you stupid? This guy does he hits his backhand at like 47 degrees and he hits it at 52 degrees, dumbass. So like, it's a very loose comparison when I say this, but. I think he's got a bit of pop on his forehand. He takes it. He can he can be aggressive with it, but he doesn't have overwhelming weapons. Almost like a, a challenger tour Zapata Miralles in that sense, and in that sense only. You know what I mean? Um, I'm not saying he's a carbon copy and try to find the difference because there are differences in every tennis player's game. But something along those lines. I I, I think I, I like his game, especially on a, on a slow clay courts in like Grand Slam qualies against. Um, but he's not in Grand Slam qualies. He's in Lyon. So uh, he obviously chose to to play the the two fifty and go for the points this week. Interested to see how he fares uh, against Purcell, and I, I don't know what to make of that. I was talking with uh, David Gertler about Purcell in the uh, qual like the qualifier preview I did, and he hasn't played in a while, and his game doesn't translate that well, right? He's he's kind of a junk baller, but in the backhand slice type sense, not drop shot sense, and he's a first serve, good first big first serve kind of guy. That's why he loves the grass. Watch for him in the grass season. We'll be talking about him at Wimbledon uh, for sure. For now, not sure what exactly he does well here. I think, you know, he 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 could get in with the cutoff of the entry list here with everyone taking the week off. If I can go to Lyon and pick up a paycheck, why not? Plus get a match under my belt before the French Open. Then he gets to go to the French Open, pick up his first round check there. And then he gets to go have fun on grass where he's going to thrive. So uh, I, I, don't, I, I could probably... I would probably lay games with Yamas Ruiz here just because the natural clay court um, kind of surface edge really makes up for any talent gap there is. And the fact that personal strengths are all negated by slow, high-bouncing clay courts also reduces that gap, right? So you've got a guy whose natural ability on the surface brings him up, and you've got the other guy who comes down on that surface, narrows that gap considerably. And it's to the point now where Yamas Ruiz is actually ahead of him in the markets as a favorite, and it's deserved, right? I mean... That's how bad Purcell can be in slow conditions and high bouncing conditions in particular where the slice doesn't work. It's not just the slow clay. It's the high bounce um, that that makes him a little less effective. Purcell also retired from his last match. John, I don't know if you have any info on that. That was a long run. Uh, that was off the in Korea, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, he, he had played week after week after week in Seoul and then he went to the final in Guangzhou and then he went to Busan and it was... First game, second set down to Vukic. I don't think it was a serious injury. I was uh, Damian Kusht, I believe, tweeted about it. I, and I think if you go back and just search his Twitter handle and, and personally talked about it being, you know, potentially like a, a fatigue injury or something like that. I don't think he like tore anything. And he's had weeks off since, right? That was the 14th. He's had a week and a half. He's had just over a week, pardon me, um, to get to get settled. About 10 days by the time he plays, just under. I think he'll be fine. That's plenty of time to go from Asia to Europe, acclimate, practice, uh, and and fill that uh, energy tank back up. All right. Well, a couple of names that we don't often talk about here on this podcast, so I thought that'd be a, a fun match uh, to discuss. Let's keep it rolling here, and I want to talk about uh, Francisco Surrendolo match here. He is a huge favorite against uh, Juan Pablo Varillas. JPV, how about that? I'm going to butcher this guy's <laughs> name. These guys actually played three times in the past. In 2021, JPV actually beat Dolo at the Santiago Challenger in 2020. Sarandolo won, but it went three, and there was two tiebreak sets. And then 2019, they played as well with Sarandolo winning. Uh, but uh, those aren't entirely applicable, as a lot's changed in Sarandolo's game, obviously. But ahead of Roland Garros, I mean, this has got it. The motivation has to be all on JPV's side here. And he is he's just too long. Uh, I'll, I'll back the plus four here. 
the plus one and a half sets. What's this at? Minus one ten for me at Pinnacle. Yeah, minus. Well, I'll take minus one twenty to win a set, and I'll sprinkle the money line here. I I just think this is a a, a total dolo fade. I might make this like a, a total of a unit and a half play here or something like that. Um, because hmm. obviously if if dolo chooses to to play on the day, uh, you know, you know what? I'm gonna add first set money line to a plus one eighty. That's big enough. <laughs> I just. It's just too good of a spot to to chase a fade on Dolo. Uh, I guess the player who has beat him in the past has been, and has played competitive matches with him and their three head-to-heads. I kind of wish this didn't move off of the plus 175 it opened at at Bet365 because I probably passed there, right? It's now plus 240 just for kind of... We, we make... You make money in this industry at the margins, right? It, it, within like low percentages. Even if you're if you're making 5% ROI to 7% ROI, you're happy. Right, so when when you talk about moving from plus one seventy five to plus two forty, you're going from like thirty six, almost thirty six and a half percent implied probabilities, uh, all the way out to twenty nine and a, all the way down to twenty nine and a half. That's a pretty steep move. You know what I mean? Like seven percent difference. And again, seven percent doesn't sound like a lot, but that's significant. That's a large move. Now, a lot of that is because Pinnacle is a sharper book. They, I think they opened their price higher and Bet365 instantly got bet out to that point. But at the same time, uh, it certainly makes it more tempting. I'll say that. I don't know if I'm betting it yet, but that move makes, obviously, you know, 7% move is going to make that a lot more a lot, a lot more enticing. So uh, I might I might dabble on a, on a plus one and a half sets, one unit play and, and money line half unit play kind of deal. Maybe. I'm going bingo on this one i just think that the bottom could really fall out i mean look i you could easily lose all the bets on this uh, as i you know dolo is i think put himself in a different class uh, than this typically challenger level player i just think that I'm, I'm sniffing a dead performance here off oh, a long stretch i mean like i feel like Sarandolo has to view himself as a contender for roland garros uh, is this like the the NFL the, sandwich spot? Is that is like they have they have that in the NFL? Right? I don't want to handicap the NFL, but that's like you're playing the the Chiefs one week, then you play like the Seahawks. No, like a, a, who's a shitty team? Like the the Texans, and then you play the Bills after that. And so like that sandwich spot, you're you're like twelve and a half or thirteen and a half or fourteen and a half point favorites, and you only win by four or five because you're thinking you know you're coming off a tough week, you're thinking to the next tough week, and you get caught. Is Dolo not in that kind of situation here? He's got to be liking his his shot at the French. He's got to be, you know, coming off a high in Rome. Uh, yes, absolutely. Is he like if this guy's like fighting him tooth and nail over every point, and it's not coming easy? You think is he gonna want to risk the effort, energy, injury uh, to gut out a three set win in the second round of Lyon? I, I'm willing to bet not. So couple matches here we can go over real quick because there's a lot to talk about um tommy paul is minus 180 against gregor barrera john i'm going to assume that barrera at plus 150 is a, a a pretty good dog price for you here yeah you know um he was the second one i scratched off he was the sorry he was the second outright i was going to make for this exact reason mute is just someone that he can give fits to because he can stick with him. He's probably got a bit bigger of a game now that Mute can't, can't really hit a backhand. He's steady. He's really developed on clay the last few years. You know he's going to be hungry at home to potentially win a title. He's been a challenger tour player his whole career. This is a chance for him. Tommy Paul's looked terrible on clay. He's looked unmotivated in certain spots on clay this year. Uh, he was in Boca Raton, what was it, last week? Do we not think he's coming here to get his feet, like, acclimated to the the dirt as soon as he plays for 45 minutes to an hour he's like all right let's go to paris like are we not do we not think that could be the case here greggy bags like man or greggy bars greggy bars i just feel like this is a good spot for him i scratched the outright because i didn't think that the, i didn't think the number was good enough i knew it, i could get minus 140 or minus 145 on the money line against mute he closed a lot shorter but uh and then i knew i was going to get him as a dog here so that rollover didn't the rollover wouldn't have justified it. And I'm so I'm, I'm attacking it match by match. I'm certainly thinking uh, that 60-40 is a lot of respect for Tommy, who isn't that much better than, than or sorry, Barrera is probably more comfortable now on clay than Tommy Paul is. A couple of years ago, they would have been equally uncomfortable and Tommy's just a way better player. That's not the case anymore. Tommy almost looks, again, unmotivated. I just don't think he he wants to grind these stupid long points out. Yeah, Tommy was fly fishing uh, in Florida. Uh, this time. <laughs> another 
Frenchman who's a dog is uh, Rinderknecht versus Brandon Nakashima. Nakashima, uh, a short minus one thirty money line favorite here. Nakashima not been great. Did pick up a win already against Schwartzman. Schwartzman stinks though, so not a ton to take away there. Man, I feel like this is a really good spot and a potential another. What's the first set over? Is there a first set over? Look at this one, John. Do you happen to have a, a first set over on that? I have the matchup here. Yeah, it is nine and a half. I've got a minus one forty-five, and I've got a minus one thirty-five. So I, it's going to depend on the book. Uh, but but Bavada usually goes with the same price as Bet three six five. So let's go with minus one forty-five. I kind of like the over nine and a half here. First set between these two guys who are just going to serve and do little else. I'm going Rinderneck. Uh, I'm going to write this one up for betting expert in all likelihood. It just feels like, you know, one, these guys are two, they both fit into that. They need form category, right? So I don't think anyone here is dumping out of Lyon to head to Paris. These guys have both been pretty poor this year on the whole. And Nakashima has been, I'd, I'd venture to say worse than Rinderneck. First of all, he was hurt for a bit. He came back, lost three straight matches, all in straight sets to like Harold uh, uh, Mayo, Greggy Bars, three and three. And like, okay, you beat Diego Schwartzman. Congrats. That was a match that I guess someone technically had to win. Like, that's how you have to approach that match. And Diego served for the first set. Like, you were very close to being a set down to Diego Schwartzman, who has been the worst player or the most underachieving player this season outside of Joao Sosa. That doesn't impress me, right? In the in the famous words of Shania Twain, that don't impress me much. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and take Rinderneck. I think he's got a bit bigger of a serve. I think he's a little, like, neither of these guys is a clay quarter, but he doesn't play as flat. Still plays a fairly flat game and 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 tries to flatten things out to, to hit with pace. I don't think, I think he's a little more used to the clay. I mean, he's French, for crying out loud. He's, of course, more used to red clay than Brandon Nakashima at this point. And he does have, you know, at least a win over, like, Flavio Caboli, and then he dominated Lloyd Harris. It's not a, Lloyd Harris isn't the greatest win, but he has multiple wins to show um, for his time on clay. Casper Ruud, I mean, he was, I think he was 40 love or 30 love up on Casper Ruud serving at 4-5 in the first set. He lost that game and didn't win another game the rest of the match. Like, it deflated him. But he was at least competitive for, like, 90% of that first set against Casper. And at this point, that, to me, is more impressive than anything Brandon Nakashima's done this year. Or at least since he came back uh, after he took that absence after Miami. So, I can't have Rinderneck as the dog here. I just can't. I think he's got, I think he's he's looked better than, than Nakashima has in the last few weeks. Uh, I test wise, I think he's got more to more to his game on the surface than Nakashima does. I don't see why Nakashima's a favorite in this one. And that's the one I already bet on, to be honest. So let's nice. go Rindernich. All right, let's take it from France over to Switzerland. The Geneva Open. This 250 event has been played in some form since 1980. From 1992 to 2014, it was a challenger event. So since 2015, it's been back on the full tour scene. Casper Ruud won his second straight Geneva Open last year beating Zhao Sosa and Denis Shapovalov the year before. Alexander Zverev beat Nico Jari in 2019 to win. Jari picked up a dog win today versus Dusan Lajovic. Bring up Shapo and Jari as a way to highlight the conditions here. We are in some elevation, almost 400 meters of altitude. So guys with big serves who like clear conditions like Shapo and Jari should trend up. Other champs include Marton Fucevic and Stan Marinko, who won this home tournament twice it's a shame uh this is the same week as rolling girls qualies would love to see big dom stricker in the straw he's not that's the second stricker shout out on this pod by the way uh weather 30 percent chance of rain tomorrow tuesday cloudy or sunny the rest of the week low 70s so pretty good conditions here i don't have odds the outright casper rude is back to defend his title it's it's a 250 when no one's looking so this is rude's bread and butter it's probably why he's won it mm. twice uh, i'm sure he's the shortest shot on the board to, to repeat as champ fritz is the second seed here zverev's the third dimitrov all three are, are prime suspects to not do anything this week and and get ready for roland garros or just get one win in and then make the trip to uh, paris so i don't want to get into another long discussion about the outrights here when we don't have them up john do you do you have anything on the outrights I do. I took Rude for a unit at, at plus two sixty because when I did when I did my weekly draw analysis for my patrons, I'll just say quickly, I had him pegged. I said you're probably not going to get him above plus one fifty to plus one seventy five, 
anything above plus two, like above 175 is a little bit of value. Above plus 200 is a must play. Plus 260, I'm in. Uh, that has him, again, that has him in a, in a pretty disrespected, like, a, 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 how do I say this? That has him winning less than 30% of the time. It's a weak field. It's a tournament he's won multiple times before, and he's still a top 10 clay quarter in the world. I will absolutely hang my hat on that statement. And he, if he's here, he's he, he if he's here, he's here to win, right? He said he was going to stop vulturing these. I think the Rome run may have had him pull out. Then he bl- blows a set and break lead. I wonder if he still wants four or five matches. He's used to winning here and going to Roland Garros and having a ton of success. Maybe it's a routine thing. I certainly think if he's here, he's here to win. And even if he does flame out, right, and chooses after you know in the quarterfinal to say. Ah, screw it. I'm going to play a a tanky kind of match. I'm not going to make it obvious, but I'm going to kind of tank out. So be it. You only need to, he only needs to win this tournament 27, 28 times out of 100 to break even. In this exact situation with this draw, absolutely. With a, with a, and he has a buy as well. Like, so your rollover has to get above plus two six. I just don't think it's going to get there. Um, And I think he, he certainly is uh, value at that number. I know I said Dimitrov was was primed to dump here, but actually, you know, he really hasn't done anything in uh, this clay season, and he has a pretty tasty draw uh, for someone of his class and caliber. I mean, he's going to play RCB next. I mean, the other guys in his uh, side of the bracket to get to the... If he beats RCB, then he's going to be O'Connell or the Croatian. Or Bernabe. Or Bernabe. In the corner. So, I mean, this guy could be in the semis pretty easily. Mm-hmm. And then if Fritz does his Fritz thing, bails out. I mean, what what's Fritz's motivation? I, I don't know. Just... Like I said earlier, I took him to win his quarter because that seems like the exact spot that Fritz would end up just bowing out as the semifinals. Yeah, and he plays Jerome in the yeah. second round, which it's 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 even if he's trying to lose to Marcos on, on clay, it would be tough. So <laughs> and then after that, he's got Manorino or Krajinovic or no, no Krajinovic, sorry, uh, Pella or Boschka. So I don't know if those quarter prices come up again. Uh, I think that's a pretty good bet still. I can't imagine those odds change from when I put it into it was at minus 125. There you go. All right, let's dive into some match plays here. Alexander Zverev is playing Chris Eubanks. Now, I don't know if you guys know this, but Chris Eubanks is in the top 100. Okay, guys. <laughs> all of tennis media wants you to know that i mean he's and, a nice and guy jamie like fox and jamie fox he's a nice guy i like his and, and you know what my opinion of him is uh definitely been raised and in fact to the point where i think he's a, a decent play here against alexander zverev now how to play it that's another question uh zverev mm-hmm. is minus 850 on the money line eubanks is plus 525 as the dog, the game spread is four and a half. It looks like it's an expensive four and a half for Zverev, uh, but it's an expensive five for Eubanks. The total is at 21. This is another one where I think the the over is a pretty good look. John, I know you're you're uh, hot on this one. Yeah, I think I might just go with like a quarter unit on Eubanks' money line, to be honest. I, I, I hate the way the correlated market's set up here. I think... Um, you're over nine and a half first set is something like minus 115. I mean, you got a plus 610 at Pinnacle anyway, plus 610 dog. And you're not even getting plus money to to get this to, to 10 games. They're basically admitting that a lot of the time Eubanks finds a ton of holds to serve in these conditions and Zverev ekes out close sets. But if you're going to play close sets, then I want to have a little bit of plus 600 in my pocket. You know, like I, I don't care. I just think that the likelihoods and the and the probabilities just between the derivative and correlated markets and the, and the money line just don't make a whole lot of sense to me. I understand that Zvera is probably the better player. I get it, and they're separate markets. I also understand that. But when you when you process it all logically, to me, it's just that that plus six hundred should should give you better value in other markets. So I think, unfortunately, like you know, it's likely not going to cash. But the best value on the board for me is just straight up money line, um, maybe plus one and a half sets. But even that is under plus two hundred. So like uh, again, they think he's they, they're even giving him about a thirty over a thirty three percent chance to to take a set and and somewhere down under the fifth or fifth around the fifteen percent mark under the fifteen percent mark to win the match. I, I like the lower 
lower stake chase these uh, these plus um, money values. The first set money line is plus three twenty five. Now, if he's going to win this match, I I definitely think he's got to win the first set. So, yeah. I kind of like um, that's around that staking uh, for plus three twenty five on the first set money line. I don't mind the over um, nine and a half at minus one twenty here. Uh, either i think that's a a a very worthy play uh, with christopher eubanks serving the way he he has been and he played i mean he has a match under his legs as well it was against benoit pair so not and he was a dog in that match plus 144 outright winner uh but they did play a tie break in that first set and that match i i think it's worth the squeeze for to get over uh the 10 here there there might be there a, is a matchup go ahead no i was just there is a matchup uh thing too like if he could just bomb first serves to that was rare forehand right just, he's gonna find a ton of cheap points you find a ton of cheap points you find a ton, you find a ton of service holds you find enough service holds guess what you're right in the match i just hope he doesn't you know a lot of players know whose backhands are better than their forehands they still serve to that wing anyway because they're so used to it. And that's, you know, that's where they practice and that's where the repetition comes to target other players' backhands. And so when you try and go the other way, you know, you risk landing fewer first serves. I just hope if if he gets the reps in or gets hits the practice court, just practice hammering away to that Zvera forehand. If you can find enough first serves to that forehand, there's a really good chance that you find four, five, six holds a set. Uh I don't know if you know this, John, but now that he's in the top 100, you get more than one <laughs> can of ball, balls uh, when you practice. So he's he's definitely got the practice going. <laughs> uh, okay. JJ Wolf is coming in. Uh, it's going up a little bit. It was minus 124, which I liked a lot more than the minus 130. It currently is against Hugo Dayen. Delian, is that how you say it? Dayen, yeah. Dan, Hugo Dan, who's plus 120 on the money line. On paper, this seems like a match to chase the dog here, but the power mismatch should come into play as well. Uh, Dan is 1-3 since April 4th, so not exactly in form either. I actually think this is another kind of dream clay draw for J.J. Wolf, who's looking to improve on clay. And I'm willing to back the American here on the money line and lose with it if he does, because I think this is... <laughs> A great price to chase a, a guy who's improving on clay. Yeah, look at look at the way that Dayen's lost as well, right? I mean, he's beaten Ivan Gakov, who is famous for um in the past. He had some some rumors about uh potential intentional losses, we'll put it that way. Uh, and he's always been mentally erratic, kind of thing. Like think uh, a lefty clay kind of bublik. So that win is Okay, cool. I actually took Gakov that day and lost one and three. But that's what you get when you back Yvonne Gakov. Outside of that, he's lost to Gutting, Carabayas Bayan, and Kachino. Those guys are all natural clay quarters, but they all beat him one by nine games, one by seven games, one by six games. I mean, he's at, you know, he's averaging over seven games in those three losses. Like the margin of victory, pardon me, or defeat is over seven games in those three losses. Now you've got J.J. Wolf, who played a decent tournament in Rome, really changed his approach. We talked about it on the podcast. He talked about it on the Tennis Channel set as well in an interview with, I believe, Prakash Amritraj. And then, you know, yeah, Zverev's a tough opponent there. That's fine. But this is not Alex Zverev. Dayan came back from injury, and he does not look 100% fit right now on court. And then you've got the altitude, which helps JJ as well, because it's going to shorten those points and he can be a bit more aggressive and not have to play the way he did in Rome. I'd like to see that some of that patience stick around, but man, between his serve and, and forehand advantages here, plus a with the altitude factored in, I do like him to pull off, you know, what isn't even an upset, right? The market doesn't even believe that would be an upset in this spot because that's how bad Dayan's been. And that his health concerns completely negate any surface edge you can get, you'd, you'd give him, right? Yeah, well, and the conditions I think for a clay tournament are actually in Wolf's favor. You know, those were the two I I was highlighting uh, to talk about. Um, uh oh, John, you mentioned this in the chat. Are you going to do the unthinkable? And that's bet Ilya Ivashka 
as a favorite on clay? I mean, gosh, I, I think he gets more from the altitude than Paya does. And like Guido has what one win or like he's had a set or two where he's looked really good since he's been back and I can't believe it. I, I feel like Ivashka should be closer to minus 180 than the minus 145 that's out there right now. It's crazy to me. Crazy. I almost bet him 40 to 1 outright. Then I said, okay, you're not betting Ilya. I don't care if there's value there. I try and bet numbers, but I'm still an amateur. Like, I don't do this professionally. I crossed that off. I was like, you're not betting Ilya Ivashka to win a clay court tournament, period. So I avoided that. I don't know if I can avoid betting him here i just uh, it it boggles the mind that that he's showing me some value as a favorite on a clay court but alas here we are the things that happened the week before a slam man the oddities that happen like the week before a slam (laughs) oh i love it number one ivashka on clay hater is now (laughs) putting his own hard-earned money on him you have to love it here folks you gotta have fun every now and then uh, that's the thing, though, and it's actually a good <laughs> point. Um, they talk about this a lot in the uh, the fantasy football world. Uh, is You don't hate players. You hate ADPs. This is like you don't hate players. You hate prices, okay? Uh-huh. <laughs> and, you know, it's like if you get the right price on the right player, you have, you have to get off your own uh, personal biases and, and take the value when it's there. All right, well, that's kind of what I have here. I don't have any hot takes on any of these other matches that the, the odds are up for, unless, Derek, you have any picks here. No, I'm just sticking with my Fritz pick, so it'll cover me for a couple rounds. All right, well, let's hop into the qualifying of Roland Garros. This is exciting. Maybe a little rapid fires are running out of time. Uh, the first one I want to talk about is uh, Elias Emer versus uh, Francisco Passero. Now, this is a, a winnable match for both players here. And uh, I was wondering your take on this one, John. Yeah, I'm saying far away from this, exactly like you said. Where, where uh, I'm trying to look for the odds here. Is this second round? I'm not seeing. Sorry, hold on. It's plus 110 for Emer. Okay. And, uh, Pacero was minus 130. Yeah, I'm not going anywhere near that. I, I, that's probably going to be a fun watch. Unfortunately, it's 4 a.m. for me. So I don't know if I'll be up. I'll probably catch the end of it. I get up. From now until the end of Wimbledon, I'll be up every day between 5.15 and 5.45. Um, so I'll probably catch part of that, right? They won't start till 4.15. 4 o'clock is when they bring them out, and there's a 10-minute warm-up, et cetera, et cetera. So unless one guy dominates, I'll catch some of it. But I'm not going anywhere near that. Uh, I think this is actually well-priced. Pissarro, to me, is a slight favorite. Has more, I think, a higher ceiling than Emer. Emer has, obviously, more experience uh, and is a pretty well-rounded player in general. And when he's on as we've talked about on previous pods, I'd love to bet him as a dog, but I generally like to bet him as a plus 160, plus 180 dog when he's being disrespected because of his attitude or his form. Then I like to to jump in when you know he could have a, a good day and beat anyone. At minus 150 on the money line, I'll take a shot on Harold Mayotte versus Mark Pullman's, the Australian. Uh, this is, uh, you know, uh, a Frenchman who has a, a much more of a clay pedigree than the Australian. Now, Pullman's does have a little bit of, of a clay uh, background in terms of he, he dipped down to like M25 to get some work in. He's, he he won a couple matches at the split challenger uh, a couple months ago. So he's not like, you know, totally coming in cold. Uh, but I, I will take the Frenchman here. Yeah, I, I stayed off this one too. Um Pullman's to me better than most Aussies are on clay. Like he's not Alex Bolt. He's not Dane Sweeney. He's not Max Purcell. A little bit more talent there. I was thinking I'd get like a plus 150. It never came close. It's actually, I think, at the highest point it has been since it opened when they released the draw on Sunday. Uh, that was, and now it's plus 127. Still not high enough. I still need a plus 140 to get involved. So I passed on that one as well. Any picks for you, John? Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and, and jump on Franco Agamemnone here, to be honest. He's now up to plus 220. And look, Diaz Acosta is a solid player. A lot of his work has been put in on the Challenger Tour, especially in South America, where the fields tend to be a bit weaker. He did win in Weidas in Portugal last week. I think there's an overvaluation there. The forehand, not as big of a weapon as I had seen in the past. 
can be a little erratic with it as well. Really struggled against Nico, uh, Nicolas Moreno de Albaran, who had him 5-2 down in the first set. He came all the way back. And then 5-love down in the tie break. He came all the way back to win that too. Was just down and out in the first set multiple times. Came back and won it and then put him away in the second. Moreno de, de Albaran not really doesn't have that many weapons, extremely solid, like top 150, top 200 player. He'll make you work. He doesn't have holes in his game, but he doesn't have any weapons either. Um, and Frank Wagamendone can kind of do that. Doesn't move as well as Nico, but has a, a bit more pop on his serve and his forehand. He's a natural clay quarter. And he's the guy who either loses, he loses like eight matches in a row, then wins a challenger, right? Or wins a challenger, goes to a semi, then goes back to losing six in a row. On a volatile guy like that, who has a good enough game, and you give me plus 220 against an overvalued guy because he won a challenger last week, I, I got to be on that for sure. Uh, another one I like, uh, let me just move, move through the list here. Terrence Atman playing Zdenek Kolash first on court. That one has been moving back and forth. There is a plus 150 out there that's probably on the borderline of value for me on the young Frenchman. Big lefty game. He's got some like nasty slice in there as well. So he's got power, but he has like a slice on his lefty serve that is that takes it off court in a nasty way. Fun watch. Certainly worth doing some tape study on. Um, when it was at plus 170, I didn't, I didn't pull the trigger. Then it's back down to plus 150. It's right on the border for me. Another one I do like is Alex Vukic. I mean, the guy might have lost his challenger final, but Rafael Collignon... Another typical challenger tour guy where, you know, he, he's got comfort on the surface, but he just lacks those weapons to really stick with the guy like Alex Vukic, who put in a week on clay after a lot of hardcore play in, in Asia, in Korea. And it should pay dividends this week, right? Weidash is not quick clay. It's not at altitude. And he won several matches there. He's kind of acclimated. He's got the much bigger game. He's got a borderline ATP tour pedigree to him. Much more so, at least the game does, than, than Colignon. And two and a half games there, I think, is, is, a, is a decent steal to back the favorite. Moving down the list, I will fade Yosuke Watanuki till I'm red in the face on slow clay. His success this year has come, I think, in Madrid at altitude, in Houston on quicker red clay. He's played a few matches on red clay, uh, on slower clay at, at sea level and lost them. Altil Gea, the young Frenchman, another one worth looking at. Brody has... You know, not a clay quarter by nature. Also has wrist issues going on. Um, so you know that's down from plus four hundred down to plus three thirty five though. So a little bit of room left on that. Uh, there, there's just there's a few more down the board as well. Like I'll roll off real quick. Dimitar Kuzminov, uh, Ricardo Bonadio. Here's an example of an Aussie that isn't that good on clay, right? Like most of them. And James Duckworth, Bonadio at three to three and a half games. Anything under four, I certainly like. Uh, Barrios Vera against Kovalik, just more weapons to his game. They're both comfortable on clay. They're both natural clay quarters. Kovalik, a little too much of a pusher. I think this is one of those matches where two guys equally good on the surface, one is going to find a lot more pressure um, on the other guy's serve than the other, and that's Barrios Vera, so I don't mind laying the games. Uh, and finally, a couple on the late window, Antoine Escoffier, Huge underdog to Otto Virtanen. Neither of these guys good on clay. An over and dog money line combo looks good. And Wu Tung Lin to fade uh, Felipe Malagheni Alvesh, who I think is a bit overvalued after some wins of late. Wu is better than you would anticipate on clay. And he's well over plus 200 on the odds. Those ones as well. And then finally, match of the day for me. Jambor Pirosh against Dominic Kepfer. Pirosh has two clay challenger titles this year, four additional clay court quarterfinals at the challenger tour. The question is health, right? Kepfer coming off back-to-back -back titles in form. We saw Pirosh get all the way up to plus 150 because I believe the last match he played, he retired in. That was a few weeks back though. So now you, you take a look at um, a couple weeks of rest. He certainly has the game to, to end that. Dom or sorry, Dominic Kepper not off back-to-back -back titles. He's off of a final appearance against Jakub Menschik at that Prague Challenger, and then he won in Turin. So, you know, he's won nine of his last ten. I think Pirosh has that talent level to stop that run. If he's healthy, plus 130, plus 135 is looking pretty good. Bornegoyo and Tabilo. It's already... They opened it at a neutral 22.5. It's up to 23, but the over 23... I think is a, a pretty fantastic look. Uh, Bornegoyo is a qualifying warrior. 
Tabilo uh, also is uh, famously Tostilo. Uh, so I think that's <laughs> going to be uh, a battle to the death. They have it ticked down here at plus 125 for the over two and a half sets. I, I, I'll, I'll stick with the, the, the total here at 23 um, because I don't see a ton of value on that compared to compared to the total there but yeah i think that's uh, in line for those two guys to uh to battle pretty hard here i kind of like the minus 118 minus 115 somewhere in there on tabilo like that that more natural clay court game both these guys have popped behind the serve i think tabilo's lefty game into the borna goyo backhand could really help him um that's the weaker side for borna i think he moves better than borna goyo and i think he's just more natural on the clay i i, I i'm i'm bigger than most on Borna Goyo because the, the power and the fact that he's kind of a European big server. He grew up on clay as well, so he's he's not a fish out of water. Plus, he has the power to cut through it. Uh, but at the same time, I, I do think that Tabilo just moves better, more natural, still has the pop to stick with him, and has that kind of the cross-court serve and forehand into opponent backhand, which they both have. Uh, I think it benefits him a little bit more. All right. We've said it all. Follow John at Jared Tweets Tennis, at Tibbetts Tennis, Follow Derek at Forever's Nagal. Follow us at MP9 Tennis. Do subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. We'll be back later this week with the Roland Garros preview. Until next time, see you on the court.